0: Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm gonna thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, according to a number of sociologists today, the primary default emotion of the average American Like the emotion that marks our society far greater than any other emotion, at least according to these sociologists, is the emotion of disappointment. It's a nice cheery outlook, right? Like, think about that. Like for the majority of people walking around you on the street, they are most likely living and leading these lives that are greatly marked by disappointment, these feelings of frustration or displeasure over unfulfilled hopes and expectations. And when I think about our culture today, like, that, that makes sense, right? We live in this culture that is so built on the, the chase and the pursuit of the ever-elusive next best thing, right? We're chasing comfort and status and pleasure, so it makes sense that that type of culture would breed that type of disappointment. On a lighter note, though, as I was reading more on disappointment this week, I came across a list of what's called first world problems. Do we know what these are? Yeah. So they're the pretty minor inconveniences that create these pretty heightened stress responses in certain populations, namely us as Americans. In fact, as I was reading through this list, like I could feel my blood pressure rising. And, it, and it's totally disproportionate, right? Like the actual situation to the response, but let's just see how we feel in this, in this room and at all of our campuses as I read this. How about this? Showing up at a location with no cell service or no Wi-Fi. It's pretty bad, right? Taking a shower to find there's no more hot water. How about this one? You have cookies and milk and you're dunking your cookie in the milk and half of the cookie breaks off and like sinks to the bottom of the milk. Uh, show of hands across all of our campuses, who's the one that you're just diving your hand into the milk, pulling out the cookie, and then still drinking the milk? You guys are gross, that's <laughs> so weird. Uh, how about this, having to sit through commercials where you can't fast forward because you're watching live TV. We are so spoiled. How about this one? It's, uh, it's around lunch or dinner time and you're really hungry, and so you leave your house and you drive to your nearest Chick-fil-A and you pull into the drive-thru and you're sitting there and then you realize, oh wait, it's Sunday. (laughs) Does that happen to anybody? Me a couple of times. Here's the deal, like I know in the midst of all of these minor inconveniences, this conversation on disappointment in life goes so much deeper. If you're just now jumping in with us, we are working through this series called One Thing Leads to Another, where we are talking about the will of God in our lives, and we're, we're looking at it through the lens of the story of a man named Joseph found in the book of Genesis. And if you know anything about Joseph's life, or if you've been following along with us, like you know, his life has been marked by so many different things up to this point that would have given him all the reason to feel disappointed. At a young age, Joseph's mother passed away after giving birth to his little brother, Benjamin. And so he's grown up most of his life without a mom. He's the favorite son of his father, Jacob, in between this really fancy coat that his dad gives him and then these really interesting dreams, like Joseph's brothers have built up all of this animosity and frustration against him. They want to tear him down, discourage him. What that ultimately leads to is them actually kidnapping him and throwing him into a pit and selling him off to slavery down in Egypt. So picture this you have this 17 year old boy who is ripped away from everything he's ever known. He's carried off to a foreign land and he's sold as property to a man named Potiphar. Nothing. And Joseph's life has played out the way he probably thought it would. He probably thought he'd grow up in comfort, maybe go into the family business. And what about all of the dreams that God had given him? These dreams that seem to communicate like, hey, Joseph, I have this incredible plan for your life. You're gonna make a difference and have a huge impact on those around you. And yet nothing in his life up to this point seems to be communicating that. He's had this massive detour that has shaped his life, and yet, where we left off last week was with a a very different picture. Joseph is still a slave in Egypt, but he has risen to a place of of prominence and power in the house of Potiphar. He is Potiphar's estate manager. He's over the whole operation, and you wonder if Joseph was maybe coming to this point where he's somewhat accepting this major detour in his life, like, God, I, I guess you needed me to be ripped away from my family and come down here and be like an estate manager as a slave in the house of my master? Like, I, I guess I'm somehow beginning to see some of this. That is until we keep reading. We're gonna be picking up today in Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse six, if you have your Bibles. Genesis 39, verse six. It starts this way. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Hey, come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. Like no one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because duh, you're his wife. And so, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin. Catch this, not just against Potiphar, against God. Joseph's integrity here is incredible. If you think about it, like, it would have been so easy for Joseph to come to this place of of feeling like, hey, I have suffered so much in my life up to this point. Like, I think I deserve this. It'll be a nice distraction. And to actually be like desired and wanted. For the first time in a while, that feels nice, right? However, Joseph places both Potiphar and ultimately God before himself and any selfish desires that he may have. Story continues. She, Potiphar's wife, kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. Uh, The NIV here, if you're reading, actually says he refused to even be with her Like he won't even be caught dead in the same room as her. I love this quote from former senior pastor Bob Russell. He once said, to linger and flirt with temptation is to fall. And so Joseph's not hanging around, he's not dipping his toe in the pool to see how things feel. No, he's building up all of these boundaries in his life in order to keep things from from growing and festering and overtaking him. One day, however, No one else was around when he went in to do his work. Yeah, totally a coincidence, because look who's here. She, Potiphar's wife, came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. This poor dude has the worst luck with coats. Like, this is the second time now. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants and soon all of the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away. But look, he left his cloak behind with me. Despite Joseph trying to live as faithfully as possible, He's now the victim of a false accusation that is about to seemingly rip away everything he had accomplished up to this point. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. The English here kind of masks what's happening in the Hebrew. We don't really know from the Hebrew what is the object of Potiphar's anger. Like he could just be angry at Joseph or it could be circumstantial. Like, think about the position that Potiphar's placed in. If he believes his wife, he's gonna lose his best slave and his estate manager, his his house, everything he owns will suffer. But if he believes Joseph, then in that context, he's gonna bring all of this shame upon his household because he puts a foreign slave above his wife. So, to settle things, he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he, Joseph, remained. What's really interesting is that in the very next chapter, chapter 40, Joseph uses the Hebrew word bor, B-O-R, to describe his imprisonment, and when it's translated into English, it means pit. You catch that? You fast, or you, you rewind 10 to 11 years in the past. And Joseph begins having these flashbacks of going out to see his brothers and then they ambush him and beat him up and throw him in a pit and then sell him off to slavery. And now after all of these years and after coming to a place of success in Potiphar's home, he once again finds himself in a pit And in this prison pit, like, there's no set timetable for release. There's no court or trial date on the horizon. Like, can you imagine what Joseph would have been feeling in this moment? Am I really going through this again? Seriously, after all I've been through, now this. Does that sound familiar? We don't really have time to dig into depth into chapter forty. I really encourage you to read that this week as we keep studying through the life of Joseph so you're ready for next week. But what you'll find is that Joseph gets to interact specifically with two different prisoners in the prison. They're prisoners straight from Pharaoh's court, a cupbearer and a baker. And through God's power and Joseph, Joseph's able to interpret dreams that these two men have and the, the baker is ultimately executed. The cupbearer is released to go back to Pharaoh and Joseph tells the cupbearer like, hey, don't forget about me. Like, like vouch for me before Pharaoh. I, I don't deserve to be here. I, I don't belong here. Like surely after this divine encounter, the cupbearer will go to Pharaoh and he'll talk with him and Pharaoh will release me and then everything will be okay. And yet, chapter 40 ends with an incredibly haunting verse. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Everything is seemingly gone. Any sort of understanding or acceptance that Joseph may have had around this detour in his life is probably gone. You know what it feels like to be in that pit? When the darkness presses in and when the situation looks so bleak and you don't know where to take a step forward from here, I think if, um, I think if we were to take a step back and kinda, kinda zoom out and, and look into the pit, the, the pit moments of our lives, what we would see is really there needs to be two different conversations Two important conversations, but different conversations. For some of us, if we were to think about or describe the the pit moment of our life, the word would just simply be disappointment. We have these emotions of sadness or annoyance or displeasure over how life is played out up to this point. Like maybe you had these really grand plans for what life would look like after high school or after college, and then you fast forward all these years and that's not how things worked out. Or, Or maybe it's not what you didn't get in life, it's the fact that you got everything you ever wanted in life. All of the things that you thought would ultimately fulfill and satisfy you. The perfect job, the right salary, the dream house, the vacations, the dream girl or guy but ultimately, they didn't fulfill you, and they sure didn't last as long as you thought they'd last. Maybe this isn't the case 100% of the time, but I think when it comes to these emotions of disappointment in our life, I think we can trace them back to maybe one of two things. The first being this, unmet expectations and false assumptions. This could look like a number of different things, but maybe it's expectations and assumptions about God. When we look at our world, there are so many false views of who God is and how he operates that, that don't line up with who he's revealed himself to be in scripture. And so this could look a number of different ways, but, but maybe, maybe it's an instance of this. Well, God is, God's the one who's supposed to take care of me, which means he's always just supposed to make sure I'm happy and comfortable. And so I, I, I type in the right prayers, I say the right things, and he just gives me everything that I could ever want. And then when God didn't operate that way, it made you pretty angry, pretty frustrated. And maybe that's not your fault because maybe somewhere along the way, someone told you like, no, that, that's who God is and that's, that's how he operates and works. Maybe it's not with God, maybe it's expectations and assumptions of others. Like you, you look at the relationships in your lives, family, friends, a, a significant other, and, and really, you, you've come to this place of like relying on others who are flawed and imperfect to ultimately fill all of the holes in your heart or always be there for you and never let you down in any way or disappoint you. And then when that inevitably doesn't happen, where does that leave you? Maybe it's expectations and assumptions about life like maybe for, for some of us, we just grew up with these ideas that, that life was just gonna be normal and good, no major issues or setbacks, like always up and to the right. And then we stepped into the real world and we realized that doesn't always happen. Maybe it's not expectations and assumptions, maybe it's idolatry. Like maybe you don't wanna acknowledge this or you don't even realize this, but something or someone in your life has taken the place of God on the throne of your heart. And that person or that thing becomes the object of your attention and your focus, whether it's wealth and comfort and lifestyles and vacations and status and influence and relationships and sex and happiness and self. Please hear me in this. There's nothing inherently wrong with desiring a good life that's marked by enjoying and delighting in God's creation and the blessings that he's given us. But if those things become distractions from God's will, like we talked about last week, or if those things start to well up in us, these feelings of disappointment, we don't wanna suppress those emotions and feelings. No, we wanna like take a hold of them and analyze them and look at them as like these warning lights on the dashboards of our heart that lead us to ask some pretty honest questions like, hey, what's ultimately bringing on that feeling of disappointment? Have I placed my hope in earthly circumstances or pursuits or in flawed, imperfect people? Am I out of line with who God is and what's true about his word? That's disappointment. I think for others of us though, there's a whole different conversation that we need to have because ultimately the word disappointment doesn't encapsulate what we're feeling in this moment. Over the last couple weeks, I've sat across the table from individuals and families whose lives have been forever changed by the tragedy of last month's shooting. And I'm sitting there and I'm hearing the most gut-wrenching, heartbreaking stories of family members and loved ones gone in an instant. I've sat multiple times in the hospital room of an Indiana campus family where a father and a husband was ripped away from his wife and kids. Even after receiving treatment that was supposed to help cure his cancer. And we buried him on Friday. I've sat across the table from couples whose marriages are on life support after earth shattering Discoveries. The diagnosis comes in. You pick up the phone and it's the worst news imaginable. That thing that was done to you by the person that you trusted the most plagues your mind every single day. Life feels so out of control and you're exhausted. Now, disappointment doesn't describe it. I think the right word would be discouragement or despair or hopelessness or suffering. It's not idols and expectations, like it's just complete utter emptiness and brokenness. It's the type of darkness that presses in that might have us asking the same question that maybe Joseph was asking when he didn't get that call from the cupbearer or Pharaoh. God, have you forgotten about me too? What do we do? If you uh, you know me, you'll know I'm a huge history buff. And I remember hearing this story once about an event that took place several years ago that was honoring World War II veterans and and celebrating stories of victory from the war. And so I wanna read for you guys a description of one of these moments from the event. At one point in the event, it came to a time to specifically honor those who fought in D-Day, the storming of the beaches of Normandy. To do this, two old men were brought up on the stage who were there that day. One was a foot soldier, the other was a reconnaissance pilot. The foot soldier was asked what he remembered from that day and his memories were bleak. He said he heard gunshots flying everywhere. He jumped out of a boat into waters that should have been blue, but they were stained red by the bloodshed of his fallen comrades. He said he looked around and he saw friends and brothers fighting for their lives, some having already lost theirs, laying lifeless on the beach. He said he felt the weight of the war on his shoulders. He said with every passing moment, he lost hope and thought to himself, there's no way we can win. After the bleak interview, the reconnaissance pilot was asked what he remembered from that day. His job had been to fly over the battlefield every hour or so, and report back to base to tell the generals and those in charge what was going on. He said, with every passing fly over the battlefield, he saw their troops advancing, they were winning. And every time he flew by, he gained more and more and more hope and thought to himself, there's no way we can lose. Ultimate perspective. Joseph is surrounded by darkness, sinking into yet another pit. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Like, this is our hope. This is our solution in the midst of our disappointment and suffering and despair. God with us. I love this word showed. In the Hebrew, it's the word natah, which means to to hand over or to give something to someone, present something, but it also carries this connotation of stretching out or pitching a tent. God's not far off. Throwing love and peace from afar. No, he is right there in the pit with Joseph, spreading over him a tent of his faithful love. God with us in the ER, God with us in the loneliness, God with us at the funeral and at the gravesite, God with us in the faltering marriage, God with us in the sleepless nights, feeling like there's no end in sight. Like even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it, he's with me even when I'm like crying out to him and I feel like he's not even hearing me, or even when the pain has so clouded my view and it's so hard for me to have my eyes fixed on him, he is with me. He is alive and well in our hearts through his Holy Spirit for us as believers and there is coming a day where we will be with him face to face forever. That's the truth, that no level of disappointment, no level of despair, no level of suffering can change. God is with you. Here's what I know though. I know for some of us in this room, across all of our campuses, like I know maybe our despair, our hopelessness has has driven us to a number of different places and maybe it's one of these two places. Maybe for some of us, it's a place of anger. Like we're sitting here and we are so angry at God. Like God, you directly caused what I'm suffering through in my life right now. You directly pulled these strings. And so I think I hate you. I think I'm done with the church. I'm done with faith. I'm leaving. Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's like this sense of defeat this sense of just apathy and numbness. My God, uh, I guess she needed my unborn baby to die for a reason. I I guess she needed to directly pull the strings for that person to abuse me for a reason. Kyle did a great job reminding us at the beginning of this series that scripture does not teach that everything that happens in life happens because God has directly caused it or willed it to happen. God does not will sin, and he does not will evil. We, we do live in this world where God does directly move and operate, but, but he's created this world to operate in a system of free will. And so because of the fall, because of sin, we live in a world where the vast majority of suffering is rooted in humans wronging each other and spiritual evil raging about and our broken natural world is, in the words of Romans 8, subjected to decay under the weight of sin. And so we live in a world where natural disasters strike and cancer diagnoses come and sin is carried out against you by the person you trusted and death occurs. But please hear me. God's not okay with that. It breaks his heart, which is why that same God who sat in the pit with Joseph, stepped into his own creation. Our heavenly Father sent his son Jesus into this world, into the very heart of our suffering, to die a death on the cross where he took upon himself the penalty of our sin and our rebellion that we deserved. And he died. But three days later, he stepped out of his own grave, victorious and triumphant over it all. And so shall we through him. And there is coming a day where there's no more sickness and no more disease and no more cancer and no more evil and no more suffering and no more pain. We will be with our creator in paradise forever. And in the here and now, The message of the gospel, the hope that we have is not that everything that happens in life is somehow good or was directly willed by God. No, the hope that we have is that no matter what happens to us, whatever happens to you, God is with you and he is sovereign over it all and his will can and will still be accomplished. He will bring beauty from pain good from brokenness, and the good doesn't somehow transform what happened to you into something good, like abuse and pain and sickness and broken relationships and betrayal and death will always be evil, and they will be fully eradicated from God's good and perfect future creation, but in the here and now, the gospel declares that any power they had over me is robbed from them. They don't have the final word in light of the cross. And those things can be repurposed and turned on their head in order to bring forth good, whether that good is experienced in the here and now or whether it is only fully understood one day in eternity. I've got a question for us. If we truly believed that God was always with us, How much more would we live and walk as people of trust towards the one who is in control and he's with us in the pit? The promise of God's presence is what makes all the difference. And I know this is easier said than done, like walking as people of trust in God's presence, In the words of pastor and author John Mark Comer, like we come to this place of recognizing that living as people of trust is so much more than just an emotional response. Like it's a daily choice. It's It's like working out and building up a muscle or walking a journey or a pathway. And so often it feels like a couple steps forward and then a couple steps back. Like some days I'm so leaning into trust and then other days the darkness and the stress and the fear just cloud me. But that's where God's grace is. He who is doing that good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so if I were to think through like all of the spiritual practices and disciplines that Jesus has modeled for us and, and given to us, I think the most powerful gift that places our, our hearts and our minds in this position of recognizing God's presence is prayer. That prayer, like, helps provide for us that divine perspective, that reconnaissance pilot view, even if that perspective is just this hey, I am with you. As I was meditating on Joseph's story more this week, I, I ended up just jotting down a couple of prayers that I wonder if Joseph was maybe praying as he sat in the pit. Lord, help me keep my eyes focused on you, even in this darkness. Lord, don't let me give up. Help me continue to be present in everything happening around me. Help me to embrace and normalize conversations about what I'm experiencing and feeling and help me to have eyes to see how you may be working. Lord, don't let me be overcome by the question of why. Like, why am I here? Why slavery and why, why the pit? I know I may not get that answer to this side of heaven or know what lies ahead, but I can feel you doing something in me, forming me in deeper trust towards and dependency on you. And what God was doing in Joseph, even in these moments, was just as important as the destination. Lastly, I wrote down this. Lord, help. Lord, help me know that you are always with me. For the last 2000 years, so many different followers of Jesus have leaned into this practice around evening time before bed where Uh, they move into a space of prayer on the idea and theme of gratitude. The idea being this, that as as the darkness begins to settle in, like I I move into this space of gratitude. And, And gratitude is so much more than a circumstantial, emotional response. No, it's a response to God's presence, regardless of the circumstances. And so I'm not perfect, but I've begun to practice this more in my life. And so as I'm, I'm, as I'm laying in bed, getting ready to fall asleep and I feel the darkness settling in, I, I move into this moment of prayer. And I, I'm not alone in a pit, like my wife Holly's laying here next to me and one of my dogs is probably snoring in my ear, but I can't see a lot in front of me. And I can feel the, the fear and the anxiety of the day and of life just flooding my mind. And so I plug in some earbuds and I start listening to some worship music and I start thinking back over the day that I had just experienced. And I start thinking through all of the little beautiful moments throughout my day. A good conversation with a friend that was full of laughter, nice cup of coffee as I enjoyed God's creation, playing with my daughter Madison, a hug from my wife Holly, my my time with Jesus in my quiet time. And as I look at those moments, I I can say like, hey God, you you were there, and you were there, and you were there, and there, and there. And then every time, there's this still small voice that speaks up and says, but yeah, Bryson, I was also in everything else. In the really hard conversation that you had to have today, I was with you. And the phone call that was full of tears and heartbreak, I was with you. And the physical pain that you felt today walking with this disease that you will carry in life, I was with you. In the moments when the insecurity just settled in so deeply, I was with you. And here's the deal like, I know these are small pits and and small mountains, like, we have much greater pits and mountains in our lives. But I'm just reminded in this, in this moment, he is always with me in the good and the bad. His presence sustains me. It provides for me. His presence gives me the power to even just take one more step forward and do the next right thing, even when the darkness is all around it and I can't see much in front of me. And what I feel in this moment as I can begin to recognize his presence more and more, as we begin to recognize his presence, all we can simply do is respond with praise and with trust. The Lord was with Joseph and he is with you too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, There's not a person in this room, or across our campuses, or watching online that has not experienced the pit in some way. Maybe some of us are sitting in the pit right now. And Lord, we just need to so feel your presence around us and your love and your grace. And so Lord, I just wanna give us this moment that no matter where we're at and what we're feeling, that we would just sit with you and rest with you for just a moment here in silence and just be honest about what we're feeling in our hearts. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've accomplished, the victory we can have in and through you. And thank you, Jesus. Help us to always know that you are always with us. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one-at-a-time podcast. Both can be found everywhere podcasts are available. Have a great week.